You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Chris Lopez here. And today we'll be talking about the four main ways that you can go out there and find investment properties. So this is actually a, a class that Joe Mass and I put together last year back in 2019. We taught a handful of times live here at the Your Castle uh, classroom, got great feedback. Uh, but now since I am doing this blitz on a bunch of deal analyses, I wanted to take this content and put it on the website and on the podcast channel. That way it could be used as a resource for people to learn the different ways to go out there and find deals. Because I remember when I got started, it was very confusing trying to figure out the best way to find a deal. And I know a lot of newer investors are going through those uh, same frustrations and confusion points. So hopefully this will help you help bring some clarity. Let's talk about the four main ways and give you a few tips to help you find deals. And also I'll share some stats from what I've done as a real estate broker the last uh, 12 months, pulling some stats and where the deals came from and break them down a few different categories and also breaking down some stats from a flipper as well. That way you get stats from rental property and stats from a flipper as well. So it's very interesting to see what the stats are. So what you're looking at on the screen if you're looking at the screen, and if you're not, you're not missing out much. It's just a what we're calling the deal quadrant. It's just got uh, you know a line up, a line sideways. So there's four quadrants on there, and simply shows the four ways that you can get investment properties. So the upper left is on the MLS or the multiple listing service. The upper right is networking. The bottom left is through a wholesaler, and the bottom right is doing your own lead generation. Now, is there one best method? No, I don't think there is. I think there's a there's a lot of pros and cons to each one of these four ways. So it's learning the pros and cons, and then depending on the type of property you want, it's gonna you're gonna have different channels you want to go through. Because buying a house hack property is very different from buying a flip property, and those deals often come from different sources. What type of lending you're doing? Are you working with an agent or not? What's your skill level? What's your knowledge level? How much time can you invest? How quickly can you make a decision? All these different factors uh, will factor into which of these methods is going to be the best method or best methods for you to go out there and find deals. So we'll go through and talk about each one of these in detail. Before we do, I want to talk about making sure you have a clear definition on what a good deal is for you. Now, I'm really emphasizing the word good good because that term gets thrown around a lot, but very few people can actually define what a good deal is for them. People say, hey, Chris, you know, if you find a good deal, send it to me. I'm like, okay, great. What's a good deal? Well, you know, a good deal. Well, no, I don't know what a good deal is. Tell me what the good deal is. And then we kind of go on a circular, uh, you know, roundabout for a little bit. And then either they tell me or I get frustrated and move on. Uh, because if I don't know what you want, I can't send you anything. And that's and I'm not unique that way. If you go out there and talk to agents, wholesalers, you're at networking events, and you can't clearly define what you want, how can you expect people to send you properties or send you potential deals? You can't. And also, if you don't know very clearly what you want, how can you make a quick decision? So having a very clearly defined definition of what you're looking for is going to help you out a lot. So this means that you can quickly uh, say it in an email, meeting someone a couple sentences. I just actually had someone leave me a their definition on voicemail today. And I, that was great. It's helpful. Um, so it's being able to clearly and concisely tell people what they're looking for. So here are the three main bullet points that I look for uh, right now as I'm buying rental properties. One is that it must be in the Denver metro area. I have no problem with markets out of state. I have no problem with Pueblo. I have no problem with Fort Collins. I have no problem with Grand Junction other than they're not in the Denver metro area. And I like the Denver metro because I live here and I know the market. So I want my properties where I know and where I can drive to and also leverage my resources for uh, property managers, lenders, uh, GCs, you know, all, all that stuff. I want a 6% cap rate with property management or better. And this can be a little loosey-goosey here because you'll see a lot of people have very different rules of thumbs for uh, how they underwrite properties and come up with a cap rate. 
I often see properties, oh, it's a 7% cap rate, but they have like two expenses in there. And you know what? There's more to running a property than insurance and taxes. So when you actually run the numbers in there, it's a 4.5% cap rate. So I want a 6% cap rate with property management with also realistic slash conservative underwriting. Great. That's a three to 5% vacancy, depending on location and property type. That's assuming a eight or eight or 10% property management fee. Even though my property manager charged me 7%, I always put on a couple percent more to help handle fees and lease ups and all that stuff. I want to see a five to 8% repairs and maintenance on there. Uh, depending on what type of properties and what condition it is. So I want to, I want a realistic 6% cap rate with property management. Now, I don't go into all the details when I tell people. I'm just telling you so you know what I want, so you can have clarity and hopefully it helps you out. The last bullet point is I want something that's relatively turnkey. So that means no major rehab. So roughly, you know, anything about $5,000 or less in pretty easy repairs. So as I mentioned in the previous episode, I have a three bedroom, two bathroom condo under contract that I close on next week. Um, and it needs uh, probably about $4,000 worth, uh, probably about $4,500 worth of work to go out there and get the maximum around 1850. So it, the whole unit needs to be painted. Uh, the sliding glass door, which I was hoping that could just be repaired, it can't be repaired. So a whole new sliding glass door has to be installed. And then there's just a bunch of handyman stuff. So all together, you know, the paint and the sliding glass door is probably like $3,000 or $3,500 of the estimate. And the other $1,000 is just, you know, a little nitpicky stuff here and there and taking care of all of that. So to recap, the three things I want for is I want something that is relatively turnkey that needs no major repairs, that is in the Denver metro area, and has a 6% or better cap rate with property management. So the fact that I know this, I can quickly communicate it, and people know what I want, and this is often a lot of my clients want as well, guess what? It helps funnel deals my way. Because when people say, hey, I got this property, this person's selling this, I want them to think of me, and then hopefully that helps drive, you know, puts deals in my lane, and they come my way then. So um, what I want to talk about next is actually stats that I've done as a real estate agent, I should say me and my team have done. And these are stats from roughly the last 12 months, not to the exact day, but right around the last 12 months and change. These are the deals that we've done. So I, I filtered out a few things that weren't directly investing related, a few uh, like listings and a few uh, deals that ended up being more of just buying traditional, uh, traditional home versus being a house hack. But altogether, uh, it came out to, what's the number here? 47 deals over the last 12 months. So I'm gonna break down each category and then talk about uh, what type of property they are. So I'm a real estate agent and the two main uh, investing methods I focus on is helping people buy rental properties as a traditional landlord or putting down 20 or 25% typically. And then as the owner occupant method. So doing the house act or doing the nomad strategy where people are putting down very low down payments, living in the property for a year, maybe renting it out, maybe not, but then moving out after a year or two and converting to a rental. So out of those, um, out of the, let's see, 40, what do we say, 48 deals? Um, let's talk about the rentals first because I'm looking at my screen now. I forgot to add up one number on here. <laughs> so out of those 48 deals, uh, here it is, 20 were house hack and nomad properties. And then the other, what's that? 28 properties were rental properties. So, I mean, what's that? About 60% or so for rentals and about 40% for no matter house hack properties. So pretty good mixture here. So for the rentals, um, 19 of the rental properties we purchased came from the MLS. Nine of the rental properties came through networking. Zero from a wholesaler zero from lead gens that we did ourselves. Now, out of those, uh, I broke those rental properties into three subcategories. So that would be multi-units, detached homes. So these are just your normal homes that don't have attached walls, but they're single family. And then the third category are attached properties, which would be condos and townhomes. So going for multis, and multis are anything from two units above, and the last year we've done everything from duplexes up to 15 unit apartment buildings and everything in between. 
So the nine multis that we help purchase, and one of these was mine, the others were with clients. Two of the multis came off the MLS for rentals and seven came from networking. So you see a lot more of the multis actually came from a networking source, which is not surprising because a lot of times products that are, that are sold off market or not using MLS, if they're a multi-unit, typically that's a, a, a rental investor selling to another rental investor. There's usually not the motivated sellers and the fixed flip properties that you see for like the, the off-market single family stuff. So nine of the properties we did for rentals were for multis, two MLS, seven networking. And then we sold five homes and all five came from the MLS and zero from networking. And this doesn't surprise me because, I mean, pretty much every property I see from wholesalers, um, that would be an off-market deal from a wholesaler or networking, I should say, those types of uh, sources where I see properties from for a detached home, those are typically for fix and flippers, and that's not my specialty. So a lot, I agree, I see a lot of those properties, but they're not what I want nor what my clients want. So therefore, that's not the right fit. And then for condos and townhomes, so attached properties, 12 were off the MLS and two were from networking and then zero wholesalers and zero lead gen. So altogether, that gives us 19 rentals off the MLS and about nine from networking. So roughly of the rental properties, this is not the house hacking nomad stuff, 68% of the properties, the rental properties came from the MLS and 32% came from networking with zero from wholesalers and zero from lead gen. Now, moving on to the next uh, category I work with, the owner occupants, so house hackers and nomaders. So again, about the last 12 months, about the last year, uh, we've done about, we've done 20 house hack, no, uh, house hack and or nomad purchases. And out of those 20, I broke those uh, three in two categories in the same categories, multis, detached homes, and then condos and townhomes. And actually, before I go into there, I forgot one important stat. 100% of the house hack and nomad properties that we purchased came from the MLS. Zero from networking, zero from wholesaling, and zero from lead gen. And that's not because we don't look, that's not because we don't see deals, that's more the fact that it's an owner-occupant property looking to use long-term FHA or conventional financing. So a lot of the off-market stuff, whether it's through networking, wholesaling, or lead gen, that stuff is rental property grade, and more often than it's fix and flip, uh, you know, it's a fix and flip product, sometimes a Burr product, um, but a lot of times the people that are buying those properties Great, they can make a decision in three days. They're coming with cash, they're coming with hard money. And a lot of these properties are not habitable where you can't even get a conventional loan or, or an FHA loan to go buy the properties because, oh great, you wanna go live in that property as an owner-occupant? Hey, it needs to be habitable. And habitable means you know, there needs to be a bathroom, there needs to be a kitchen. Utilities need to be functioning or at least be able to turn on, not the gas pipe is disconnected. So. A lot of these properties, they're not habitable. So therefore you can't use one of those loans on there. Plus it comes down to speed and also the seller like, great, if I were selling a property, I'd rather deal with a cash investor that's gonna come in and fix and flip it versus a first time home buyer looking to house hack it and then we use an FHA loan. So it's almost, I don't wanna say almost, it's nearly impossible to buy a house hacker nomad that's not through the MLS. And that's not a bad thing, that's just a fact. And the MLS is actually, I think, the best way for house hackers, nomads, to go out there and buy properties. And I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. So out of the house hack nomad properties we bought, out of the last 20, um, only two have been multis. And if you've been to any of my classes, you know I go through stats on why multis are just really tough right now for house hackers. So out of the last 20, two have been multis. So about 10% of our house hacks have been multis. Those were both duplexes, and they both came from the MLS. Uh, 14 of the house hacks and nomads were single family detached properties and four were condos and townhomes. So these numbers are pretty different than what we talked about for rental properties. So the majority of properties we bought for rentals were condos and townhomes at 14, then multis at nine, then houses at five. Well, for nomaders um, and house hackers, 14 of the properties we bought were houses four were condos and townhomes and two were multis. And again, 
all 20 of those Halsack Nomad deals came from the MLS. So adding up those two categories together, uh, 39 of the properties came off the MLS or 81% of our transactions. And nine of the properties came through networking. These are other agents we know and investors that we know that are just unloading properties. So that's 19% of the deals we did. So roughly 80% of the properties came from MLS. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? No, it's just that's the fact and that's the way things are. And for the majority of people buying rental properties, I mean, those numbers are pretty consistent uh, for most investors and most agents that I know. All right. Now, moving on. So uh, last month, we wrapped up a seven or eight part series with Derek Marlin on flipping properties around Denver. And in one of the episodes, he was talking about finding deals. And I specifically asked him to break down the deals based off of MLS, wholesale, networking, and lead gen. That way I could use the stats and share it with people as well. So I gave you my rental stats. Now I'm gonna give you stats from a flipper and how he sources deals. And I think these were the stats for him from 2019 or a rolling 12 month period, but regardless about a one year stats. So 55% of the flips that he did came from the MLS. 20% came from networking, 10% came from wholesalers, and 15% came from lead generation. So again, 55 from MLS, 20% from networking, 10% from wholesalers, and 15% from lead gen. Now, I wanna share these to give everyone out there just some ideas on stats, but also for a lot of the new people out there looking to get into either flipping or buying rentals or house hacking, whatever your investment strategy is. Because I talk to a lot of people and see a lot of things on bigger pockets and different forums out there where everyone's just trying to like do their own lead generation through postcard mailers or bandit signs, or they say, oh, only work with wholesalers. Well, I mean, those are viable methods, but if the majority of properties that I'm buying for myself, my clients are buying are from the MLS and the networking, and even for flipping, the majority of properties that Derek is buying is the MLS and networking. Um, and through a lot of flippers I know, these are pretty similar stats. Um, that should tell you something. So I'm not saying don't work with wholesalers and don't do your own lead generation. Those can be great sources, but I would not get hyper-focused or automatically exclude the MLS or standard networking because there's a lot of great deals out there. All right, so let's go through the four quadrants in detail, and I'm going to go through each of the four ways, talk pros and cons, uh, give you some insights, and hopefully share a story or two to help you uh, figure out what method or what source is the best for you. So the pros for MLS is that there's just the biggest amount of inventory out there. You know, typically in Denver, you know, there's, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of inventory depending on, you know, where we are in the seasonality. It's anywhere from like about four to 9,000 uh, houses and townhomes and condos on the market. So I've read a couple different stats and these are from sources I trust. And I've read, it's basically between about 95 to 97% of all single family transactions. So these are your homes, your condos and townhomes, not multis, but 95 to 97% of all transactions come off the MLS. So if 95% of the inventory is trading on the MLS, should you be looking there? I would say yes. I mean, like go fish in the pond, the biggest pond with the most fish, right? Uh, also with the MLS, it's an extremely buyer-friendly a contract and earnest money in process. And so in Colorado, uh, we have a state standardized contract that the vast majority of people use for real estate transactions. If you're buying an MLS deal, you're using a state standardized contract and that's very buyer friendly. And they did it on purpose because they want the buyer to be able to cancel the transaction if it's not a good fit for them, since they are you know, spending you know, thousands of dollars and borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars of money. So it's a very buyer-friendly contract. Um, and also earnest money is what we call not hard. Earnest money is that good faith when it's like, hey, great, my property goes on a contract. Usually within you know, three or four days, you need to transfer in $3,000, $5,000, or $10,000 to go out there and just put good faith money down with a title company. Now, in, in just complete bluntness with the contract we have in Colorado, if you lose your earnest money using the state standardized contract, you or your agent really just 
you screwed up. Like, you have to do something really stupid on my mind to lose that. So, I mean, it's possible, but there's so many outs and it's very clearly laid out. So it's very friendly to you. So great. That means you're not having money at risk or you have a lot less money at risk when you go buy a property or contract. Uh, it's easy to access the data. Of all the sources, the MLS is the easiest uh, way to get data. Now, all the data that agents upload is not, I'm not saying it's accurate, but compared to, you know, the other methods of networking, lead gen, and wholesalers, you got the usually the most data and the easiest access to it. So either through the MLS directly at RE Colorado or the HomeSnap app, or if you Zillow or Redfin, you know, they do a good, those other websites do a good job of pulling over most of the data uh, from the MLS. I will say for the data, like I know a lot of people use Zillow and Redfin. Uh, they do a really good job of pulling data over for single families. But for multifamilies, I have not seen them do a good job of pulling over multifamily data. So if you want to look at multis, go directly to RE Colorado uh, for sure on that. I'd recommend that for everyone. Uh, but if you're doing multis, definitely do RE Colorado. Um, go to the website or have someone search up on searches. Uh, that way, they've got the best data for multis on the MLS. Uh, it's generally easy to access the property in the uh, MLS listing. The listing agent says, hey, here's how to access the property. And for the vast majority of properties, uh, they use a centralized service that coordinates all the showings. And your agent, your buyer's agent, just basically goes to the website or calls the phone number and says, hey, we want to see the property at this time. Uh, they coordinate with the seller. You get confirmation. They send you the lockbox and say, great, arrive there between 2 to 4 on Tuesday afternoon, and you go walk the property. <clears throat> now, some cons. It can be highly competitive because while we're looking for investment properties, whether it's rentals or fix and flips, uh, a lot of other people are looking for, uh, you know, their retail buyers. They're looking for the home for them, for them, their family, their kids, their dogs to live in. So a lot more properties, but also usually a lot more competition. And while you might be analyzing a property based off cash flow and cap rates and cash from cash return, um, you know, John and Betty and their kids and dogs, they're not doing a cash flow analysis on that, you know, $350,000 starter home in Aurora or that $400,000 home in Lakewood. They're doing it because, oh, great, we like the property. It fits our budget. It's in the school district we like. Cool, let's buy. So you're going to have generally, you know, more inventory. We also have some more competition and it will be coming from people not evaluating the property from a uh, rental standpoint. Uh, you know, an interesting con to the MLS is actually can be overwhelming, which can uh, lead to paralysis by analysis because there is so much data. You know, right now in the market, there's probably 4,000 active inventory in the market. Great, good luck looking through every single one. Even as you run your filters, there's a lot of properties to look at. So while there's the most properties there, it's also easy to overwhelm. Uh, that's why you want to know what your criteria is. And when I set up property searches for clients, we try to we have our different filters and from keywords to square footage to geographic regions help you know cut out some of the noise. And we also take people through ways to analyze properties at a high level to help them get past a lot of that uh, the, the stuff that doesn't make sense and to get past doing that that paralysis by analysis stage. So to use the MLS, the cost is none. Uh, having an agent, you should probably use one. Uh, I know some people, I've talked to some people like, oh, great, I'm not going to use an agent. I'm just going to call the listing agent directly. So two things there. Uh, a lot of times, even if you do that yourself, the seller is not going to reduce the purchase price of the property. So a lot of times you're not going to save the buyer agent's commission on there. Secondly, most listing agents they don't want to work with a solo person. Now, if you're an experienced investor, that's a different story. Now, if you're a newer person, uh, they probably don't want to work with you because you know what? Real estate con real estate transactions are complex. Uh, agents do a lot more than to show the property and write one contract. Uh, there's a lot of nuance on there, and there's almost always some curveball or weird thing or headache that pops up almost on every single transaction. And agents want to work with other agents that know the process. And a lot of times they will sell their, tell their sellers that. So don't automatically assume that you'll go out there and call the agents directly. It can work in your favor. You can also turn off a lot of listing agents and sellers as well. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so generally, I'd say use one. Uh, and that's not me saying that because I'm an agent, but that's because the seller is going to be paying the real estate agent. So go out there, get a good one, and have him or her on your, on your team. 
lending, all types of lenders will work for this. Hard money, conventional cash. Uh, so lending's not an issue with MLS properties. Now talking about some of the other items on here, you generally need a lower level of skill. It's not a huge amount of time and you have a lower level of risk when going out there and looking at properties on the MLS. Now, the next quadrant I'll talk about is the wholesale uh, the wholesale side of quadrant. Now, what a wholesaler is, these are middlemen or middlewomen uh, where they go out there and they find a property. And a lot of times they're called off-market properties uh, because they're not on the MLS. Uh, they go out there and find the properties and then they try to sell the property. So more often than not, they actually go out there, find the property, get it in her contract. So they're not technically selling the property, they're technically selling the contract to the property. And so there's a lot of rules to know about this. If you wanna get into wholesaling, make sure you know what the rules are with DORA. That's our governing body here for real estate in Colorado, because you know some forms of wholesaling can get in the gray area. But wholesalers, they are, they are focused on investment properties. They're not there wholesaling properties to retail buyers for husband, wife, kids, and dogs to move into. They're out there wholesaling properties to go out there and sell to investors. So more often than not, these are fixed and flip properties um, is what I see most of the time for wholesaling. Now, there are definitely are some for rentals. There are some for burr properties. But if you need to lump wholesalers on one property type, the vast majority of what they sell is properties for fix and flips. Now, some wholesalers, uh, you know, they do the property sourcing themselves. They do their own lead generation, then they turn around and sell it. Um, but also a good number of wholesale properties are just properties that they have found on the MLS and then they get in their contract and turn around and sell it. And so just because you see, hey, great, this property is wholesale, that does not equate to a great property. At least 50% of the wholesale properties I see are just junk because it's a lot of times just, you know, their numbers don't make sense um, or still overpriced um, or it's just a MLS property repurposed as wholesale property. Now, the wholesaler can actually do a great job because they can really cut down time on your search because they should be emailing you or calling or texting with the properties. It might be discounted property. Again, generally speaking, wholesale properties will be under the fair market value. Uh, and it is something that they, again, might find or might not find on the MLS. Now, here's a con to wholesalers. Wholesalers have zero fiduciary duty to you. So just because they're selling your property, say, oh, this is that, this is that, this is that. Unlike an agent, they have no fiduciary duty to you. So if you go, they don't have your best interest in mind. For an agent, they are, you know, they have your best interest in mind by the contracts that you and you and your agent sign. Wholesalers don't. Not a good or a bad thing. It's just something to be aware of because I've talked to a lot of investors. Oh, great, this wholesaler sent me this deal. And the wholesaler, I mean, I don't want to say screw them over, but it was a crap deal. The investor didn't know what they were doing. And the wholesaler was like, hey, I'm just trying to make money. Hey, you go on eyes wide open. We have our disclaimers on there. You bought it. Did not work out for you. Buyer beware. Whatever that Latin phrase is. Caviar. I can't. I won't even try to say that. But that buyer beware. Now, oftentimes, wholesalers, your earnest money is hard. I don't know what percentage of wholesalers make your earnest money go hard. Some do, some don't. That's a better way for me to say it. Maybe not the majority, but some do, some don't. So that means when you go out there and you put that property in your contract and you're putting down a $3,000, $5,000, $10,000 earnest money check, even if you cancel the property because the numbers don't make sense or you do your inspection, you don't like it, if your earnest money is hard, that means you do not get it back. So that's why, you know, you need to be a little bit more sophisticated investor to be doing the uh, the wholesalers, especially uh, the hard, uh, the hurt the wholesalers that make their, their earnest money go hard from the date the contract uh, is executed. Now, they may or may not be using a standardized contract. The majority of wholesalers that I know and have seen, they are not using the standardized uh, contract from the state of Colorado. They're using a two or three page contract that a lawyer drafted up or uh, that they bought from some seminar or a guru or something. And so they're not using that state standardized contract. So you really want to make sure you understand what that contract is and realize that that contract's probably not written in your favor. It's probably written in the favor of the wholesaler. Again, nothing wrong with that. Just something to be aware of. And oftentimes with wholesalers, you have to move quickly. So this is the biggest reason I don't do a lot with wholesalers is uh, I actually have a screenshot on my phone. Um, I won't read it now, but I've got a, a bunch of these. And if you're in wholesalers, you get this. 
it'll be 11 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, and I'm just sitting there working, and I get a text message, hey, property, blah, 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 uh, asking this, repairs this, ARV is this, it's at 123 Main Street, Nevada, hey, we're going live today at 1 p.m., can you make it? All Money is due by 4 p.m. today. Well, great, it's 11 a.m., I'm working already, and then I have to drop everything and within an hour or two go out there and walk a property, be ready to go out there, write an offer, and a lot of times write a hard earnest money check before I leave that property. Uh, number one, that just doesn't fit with my schedule. Number two, uh, I don't want to, you know, I just don't have the time or the bandwidth to go out there and look at 20 properties to go do one deal like that. So you guys know, if you work with wholesalers, great, you may or may not need an agent. But for me as an investor, not as an agent, again, I don't work with wholesalers because it's just generally too quickly moving for me. Uh, but also I have clients say, hey, can you help me find a wholesale property? And my response is generally, no, I can't. If you wanna go out and work with wholesalers, great power to you. You actually, you know, you, you probably don't need me. Well, you could use me to help with things, but also you don't technically need me to go out there and do it. But the reality is if I get a text at 11 a.m. and this property goes live at 1 p.m., and like, oh, great, this would be a good property for so-and-so. They got to call that person, coordinate there. Well, that's a lot of going back and forth and moving parts to get out there within an hour or two hours. And then if you're not the first person oftentimes to put that money in the, in the check of the wholesaler or the hands of the wholesaler, you don't get the property. Now, I'm making a few generalizations here, but every wholesaler is slightly different. But a lot of times you have to move quickly with wholesalers. Now, I know people that do. And man, sometimes they get amazing deals by wholesalers where they get properties at you know 60% under fair market value and it's just an amazing rental with amazing cash on cash return. Good for them. Um, so the cost is that make sure you wanna know there is a cost to it because the wholesaler is going to either put their fee on top of it or it's already baked in the purchase price. So you know not a problem there, but a lot of times wholesalers will put their price on top of the property which is usually, you know, you know, anywhere from five to $10,000 is common. I've seen as high as $20,000 for some properties. So there is the wholesaling fee. Uh, the agent, I, as I was just saying a minute ago, you don't need an agent for here. I can make the case as to why new investors want an agent, but then here are the cons to it. You're gonna have to pay the agent out of your own pocket because the seller, the wholesaler, they will not pay an agent. They will tell the agent or the investor, hey, put the agent fee on top of that. And then comes down that speed thing. If you've got the agent doing that, um, it's just more people, more, more moving parts to get something that a lot of times you have to act very, very quickly on. And a lot of times since uh, wholesalers don't use the state standardized contract, agents aren't familiar with it, which again, they're not bringing that advantage of their familiarity with the contract. Now, lender, um, a lot of times it's not impossible, but it's generally harder to get a conventional loan on to use on a wholesale property. Now, if you do want to use conventional loan, hey, 30 year fixed loan, make sure you know a lender that is experienced. They can handle double closings and how to work with title companies that can do these types of properties uh, because it gets very tricky. A lot of lenders can't do that. So people like Joe Massey, hey, they do it, they're experienced. Um, so cool, talk to, some, talk to Joe or talk to someone like him. Now, the vast majority of people who are buying wholesale properties, they're buying with cash or they're buying with hard money. Why? It's a lot simpler in the transaction process. And oftentimes wholesale deals, uh, they close within you know one week to a couple of weeks. So the wholesaler wants something that can definitely close. And then also it's just a lot less moving parts to have cash or hard money to go in there and close on a property. So I would define skill as medium, just because a lot of times you have to go walk that property <clears throat> and then make a decision, you know, basically on the spot or very, very quickly afterwards. And then, write, and then maybe write a check that's a hard earnest money. Your time uh, generally is going to be lower because the wholesaler is out there doing all the work for you but you do need the flexibility in your schedule to go out there and respond to that 11 o'clock text to go look at a property at 1 p.m. Risk, I'd say, is medium because your earnest money, uh, as, as I said, is often hard, and you may or may not be using the state standardized contract. All right, let's go to the next uh, source of deals, which is networking. And so networking is people that you know or people that you meet, and then they have a deal or come across a deal or a property and then pass along to you. So generally speaking, networking is 
free. There's usually minimal or no competition. For a lot of the networking deals that we close this year on the stats I went on earlier, they're from other agents I know, they're from other investors I know, they're like, hey, I got this property, I got this client with this property, do you got anyone that fits this bill? And a lot of times, like, hey, look, we got this property. If you got something that's willing, that can buy it at this price, can I close within this time frame? The property is yours. If not, we're going to list it for you know this amount. And a lot of times, if we can make a deal happen before, great, we get a discount, and it tends to be a, a smoother transaction. So a lot of times, there can be minimal competition. Now, the cons with networking is it's time intensive. You have to network with a lot of people to get any type of deals out of there. And, you know, because for me, a, a lot of deals have come from relationships that I've built through this podcast, whether directly or indirectly by meeting people. And so I've met a lot of people around Denver that way. And a lot of people around Denver know what type of properties I want. So therefore, they send me those properties. Uh, but it did not happen overnight as I've been doing this podcast for, I don't know, two and a half years now. So the other thing is that deal flow is not consistent. So it's not like the MLS, it's not like wholesalers where, where deals are, are available consistently, or I should say properties are available consistently. With networking, there might be nothing for months, and all of a sudden, we'll get three deals in one week. And it might be from one person or three different people. It's just because there's not that consistency. Because, hey, I'm talking to this person, talking to this person, and as everyone's lives are going on, everyone's busy, great. Sometimes a deal comes my way, sometimes not. So with that, there's no guaranteed inventory. And the reality, just, you know, making a deal happen is not based on your efforts. It's really relying on other people. So the cost network is none. Um, of course, you got to a lot of times invest time into it or invest maybe a small fee to go to a meetup or go buy a cup of coffee or breakfast at a breakfast club or a beer. But I just call those costs, you know, uh, um, you know, they're minimal. I mean, if you're worried about, if you're calculating $5 into your deal acquisition cost, I think you're overanalyzing things. So no cost for that. Um, using an agent, it's optional. Um, you know, for a lot of the deals that we source, great. Of course, our clients use as an agent because we're still putting the deal together. There's still lots of stuff to handle. But I've also had a handful of clients where they've had rental properties for years um, and they're sitting on a lot of equity. And, I, and they're like, hey, great, you got $200,000 in equity in that property. It's no longer a great rental because the market appreciated a lot. Your rents didn't go up. You're sitting on a 4.2 cap property. I can show you with a spreadsheet, hey, you should sell that property, take that money, 1031 it into a bigger and better rental property, and you're going to you know, increase your cash flow sixfold uh, and just have a better ROI in general. Now, uh, a couple of those clients I've worked with, great, they've had tenants there for years. They self-manage, they know their tenants, and they're like, hey, well, is it possible for me to sell a property to the tenant? Or my tenants express interest in buying. I'm like, great. If they're willing to, I absolutely would do it because that can save a lot of headache. That can save you from having to vacate the property, go in there and fix it up, and help reduce uh, the cost of having to transact in real estate. Now, a lot of times those don't work out, but that's one form of networking. And I say, hey, great, if you can make it work and you can make it a win-win where, hey, you're saving money on real estate commissions, they're saving money on real estate commissions, split the difference, you're both coming out, you know, $5,000, $10,000 ahead, it could be a really good win-win situation. And just so you know, if you want to do that, um, go find a good title company that has FISBO, for sale by owner options. There's a handful of title companies that for an extra, you know, $400, $500, they will actually facilitate that transaction um, where they do a lot, they do a lot of the work. And they do charge more money because it takes a lot more work on them because they're basically playing a lot of the the, the role of the agent putting all the, the details together. So your lender, with these types of properties, you can really use any type of lending, um, hard money, conventional, or cash. Uh, just make sure, again, you have a title company that can facilitate a, it's basically a for sale by owner transaction if you're doing that where you're selling it to your tenant. Um, or if there's no agent involved, like a lot of times that's owner to owner. So got to get those details figured out. I would say skill level is medium on these because you have to uh, be able to pull data yourself, walk the property, still figure things out if it makes sense. Your time is high. Not that it takes a lot of time for you to network with people, but something you have to do consistently. And it's like compound interest. The more you do it and the longer you do it, the better results you get down the road. So do it for one month and, and quit. Do it for years and years and years, and you will get deals your way. But again, it goes back to one of the first things I talked about. Make sure you're very clear on the types 
or the type of property, the type of deal you want, because if you can't clearly articulate it, you're going to have a hard time networking to get that deal. Risk, I would say generally low, because in these deals, um, I mean, the ones I've been a part of and the ones I've seen, they've all used the state standardized contract. Earnest money has not been hard. So if the deal does not work out, great. You can generally get, you generally get your earnest money back as long as you're following what's laid out in the contract. And then there's no crazy different contracts in there or double closings. It's just a fairly straightforward uh, process. All right, the last one, lead generation. So when I say generate leads, uh, this is where people are generating their own leads to go out there directly to the seller. So this is you, typically when when you see this on Google or Bigger Pockets where people talk about it, they are talking about generating leads to find motivated sellers. And that's the phrase they use because these are sellers that own properties and they are motivated to sell quickly and often at a discount to go out there or at a discount of their property to fair market value. So this could be people that, um, you know what, they're going to get foreclosed on in two months if they don't sell the property. Or this could be someone facing bankruptcy. Or a lot of times people are bad with money. Or people that just hate real estate agents. Uh, or people that just want to sell directly because they can do better themselves. I mean, there's all sorts of these categories on here. So a lot of times for lead generation, there's a whole gamut on here. You can go out there and knock on doors. You can go out there and generate leads online through Google or Facebook. You can go put bandit sides around town. And bandit sides are those, and I don't know, like two foot by one and a half feet signs that you put you put in the ground at intersections on the road. Those are called bandit signs. You know, hey, we buy houses, cash, call, whatever. You can do direct mailers. You can do social media ads or social media uh, direct, uh, you know, targeting to people. You can cold call. And there's a lot of other ways you can go out there in Legion as well, but these are probably the more popular ones. So the pros to this, you're basically creating your own inventory. And you can find some really, really amazing efforts. And you're 100% in control of your efforts. And as you get the process down and figure out all those moving parts, it's actually something you can scale and the consistent pipeline of leads coming your way. I know I have a few friends in this market and other markets where they spent years perfecting their lead generation sources. And I may spend a lot of time and money into it, but now they got up and running, they got staff in place, and they consistently find some really good deals. Now here are the cons to it is, uh, I like to call it invisible competition. You have other people doing the exact same thing to you. Have you ever talked to a owner of a property or if you ever gone and met with one I have where they literally have like a half inch high stack of postcards and letters. And these are all investors saying, hey, I want to buy your house cash, blah, 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 blah. Or their variation, they're like, hey, I get 100 of these a month. Because a lot of times people pull a report. Hey, who's an out-of-state uh, owner? Who's owned a property for more than 15 years? Who's this? Who's that? And they target these mailing lists. Well, great. You're sending out your direct mail, but so is probably 50 other people. So you do have competition out there. It is time-consuming. I mean, this is a business you're doing. Uh, there, just to be 100% clear, it's a powerful model, but this is something you're not going to do and within two weeks get results. You need to expect six to 12 months of effort and time, and I would say at least ten dollars to $20,000 worth of money to invest to start getting successful at lead generation. I've done this in the past for the businesses. I, I know the details of other operations for investors around Denver and the markets that do it. And again, it's amazing, but it's a business. They are running a marketing business that drives leads. And ultimately, think about this as a new person, there's three main hats out there you have if you're doing your own leads. The first hat is marketing. The second is sales. The third is GC. So for marketing, great. How are you getting leads to call you or opt into your website or do something to reach out to you? So this is not going to be as easy as putting up one templated replicated website um, online or not just buying one postcard and doing one mailing to it. No, for marketers, they are finding specific lists to go out there. They are split testing their, their postcards. So great. I got 10,000 postcards to mail. For 5,000, I'm sending them this message. The other 5,000, I send this message. They see what response works better. They go with the winner and they do it again. They do it again. They do it again. 
So they have to do the marketing to generate the inbound call or inbound email from the seller. And then when that person calls, they're often calling two or three other people. So you have to be quick to go out there and, and talk to them and then be quick to go out there into the appointment. So I often hear from people that say, hey, what matters is you answer the phone and you're out looking at property that very afternoon. That's how they win the properties. So you gotta be quick on there. Now, if you got a full-time job or business, it's gonna be tough to do all the time. So when you go out there, that's where it really becomes more of a sales role because you have to interact with the person. You have to go out there and deal with the emotions, do negotiation, uh, you know, and, and put the deal together. On top of that, when you walk out or when you walk in, you gotta walk the property, you gotta do your comps before, I walk the bar and say, hey, great. Okay, needs this, this, and that, this, this, and this. Okay, hey, I got to put $20,000 worth of work into here, so therefore I can offer you this much. Hey, I'm going to sit down at the kitchen table with you, walk you through the process, walk you through the numbers, and then write you an offer then and there. So it's not uncommon for a lot of these people within 24 hours of a call coming in, they have walked the property, they're sitting down at the kitchen table, and then they're writing an offer that they have just come up with based off of the comps they pulled and walking the property. So I think it's very hard for one person to do all three of those. Most of the people I actually, I can't think of one person I know or one operation I know where one person does all that. Now in the beginning, some absolutely did, but a lot of times they have different people uh, for those different roles. So just wanna let you know the cons on there. And the last thing about the con, is you need a financial runway. As I said a few minutes ago, you're starting a business. I would expect six to 12 months before you start getting money from this. Um, so make sure, or you start getting leads from this. So make sure you got enough money saved away so you don't, you know, hey, great, you're three months into it, but then you run out of money. Well, if you stick with it, there's a really high chance you will get results, but you kinda gotta get past that first three, six, nine months to get the results. So a lot of times uh, for cost, and this is uh, per uh, cost per deal acquisition, and this is just based off of someone's marketing needs, and this is actually based off a few people I know, they are typically spending $3,500 to $5,000 per deal to get something that makes sense for them. And that's in addition to other overhead and their time in there. That's just the cost associated directly with that one deal. So $3,500 to $5,000, and that's the range of four different people I know. Um, agents, no, you don't need one, but if you but if you are an agent, be aware of the DORA rules. If you're out there doing your own lead generation, a lot of times DORA does not like agents that do that because you as the agent, you have a fiduciary responsibility to the public. Now you as the investor, you don't have the fiduciary responsibility to the public. You, you're generally looking for the best deal that you can get. So if you start talking to someone, and you're wearing your agent hat, not your physical one, but your metaphorical agent hat, and you talk to that uh, person, and then you realize, oh, wow, this is a really good deal. Maybe I'll buy it myself. So you take off your agent hat and put your investor hat on, and you buy the deal. Um, you know, there is a chance that that seller or the niece of the seller come back and say, hey, this agent took advantage of, you know, my uncle or my father, and if that happened, you can get in trouble. I think, you know, one definition is equity skimming. There's other, they have different definitions for different ways you can do it. But if you are, you know, if you're switching roles between how you're interacting with the public, it can be very difficult. So I know a lot of experienced investors where they, they were agents at one time, but as they became more and more of the investor and doing more and more of their own deals, they actually forfeited their license, their real estate license. So they do not have to comply with the door rules. Uh, lender, uh, you can really use you know any type of lending on here, hard money, conventional cash. But the reality is, usually these are motivated sellers. You need to move really fast. So all the people I know, they're doing hard money or cash or even private money. I use hard money and private money interchangeably a lot of times for this, where they're using money that they have access to and they can move on it very, very quickly. So as far as these categories, your skill is high. You're wearing those three hats. Your time is high. It takes a long time to do it. Your risk is high because, hey, you're guaranteed nothing. Go out there and try to run a Google ads for uh, sell my home fast in Denver. You're going to be paying $100 per click on those ads. It can get expensive and therefore a little bit risky as well. So uh, that kind of wraps up the main 
areas I wanted to talk about on the uh, on the deal quadrants, the way you have it. If you got questions on here, definitely reach out to me. Uh, but I wanted to give you guys a good lay of the land for how I've how I see different deals and how I see um, people getting different deals around town. So recap a few things. Um, if you're out there looking for a house hacker nomad, I personally would not be spending time trying to generate leads or work with wholesalers. Because for most people, you will not find a property that way. There's always that exception to the rule, but there's going to be 99.9% .9 of the time where you're not the exception to the rule. So if you're doing that, stick to the MLS because that's where you're an owner-occupied property. That's where those owner-occupied properties trade at. If you're doing rentals, uh, good ways to do rentals can be all four methods. Now, personally, what I like and from my, uh, from my business myself, it's MLS and networking. Uh, the wholesalers can be a great way to find deals for rentals, but again, you have to move fast. And a lot of times these uh, properties need rehab. I don't know any buy and hold investors that are doing lead generation. All the people I know that are doing lead generation are doing it for fix and flip deals. Uh, and then sometimes they keep properties themselves for the rental portfolio. If it makes sense as a burr, so a buy, rehab, rent, repeat, refinance strategy, or just a really good rental property from the get-go. But generally, the main focus of lead generation is go out there and find fix and flip properties. Now, if you want to go out there and do fix and flip properties, I'd be doing, I would be doing all four quadrants if I could, especially I'd be getting on every wholesaler list I could because a lot of the inventory that wholesalers have is great for fix and flips. If you're brand new, I would not be going out there and doing lead gen for all the reasons I talked about a few minutes ago. Now, if you want to do Burr properties, which I think are the, is the hardest method right now of properties to acquire in Denver, I'd be doing all four strategies because uh, you're going to have to, there's a, there's a very small segment of properties that actually fit the criteria for a Burr because a good flip does not make a good Burr and vice versa. So those are kind of my thoughts on there. So again, to recap, kind of figure out what area you're going to focus on. If you got questions, reach out to me. But most importantly, make sure you have a clearly defined type of deal you're looking for. I'll say mine again. I want properties in Denver Metro that are a 6% cap rate or greater that need uh, minimal work, no major rehab. I buy those myself. My clients buy those. So if they want their listing and has those properties, um, anywhere near that, send them my way. I will take them. All right, man. Thank you for listening and have a great day.